I want to jump into Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 today. And um, I, I want to talk about Jesus' dedication as a baby or the dedication of the Savior, the Savior's dedication. And so um, I want to jump into this. There's some things that I, I really have on my heart to share with you here. And and it's, it's an interesting thing that as I was uh, reading and, and studying this passage, kind of a, a progression that it shows for Jesus, and it's a progression that it shows in terms of uh, the people of Israel, and it's a progression also for you and for me. And so there's some interesting things here that I want to share with all of you, and we're going to jump right into this. If you are ready for God's word, say amen. amen. All right, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. In verse 21, it says, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. I'm going to spend some time right on this first verse. Um, I, uh, I, I, I love reading the Word of God. Does anybody else here in the room love reading the Word of God? I, I am passionate about His Word his word speaks to me, and, and the more I read, the more God shows me. The more I read, the more God reveals to me. Is anybody, does anybody in the room have a similar experience? That the more you get into the word of God, the more God shows you things. Now, let me be clear. When I say that God shows me things, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden I am getting a bunch of new things that nobody ever knew before. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, at, at, at the end of the day, nobody in the room has the time to read every single commentary on Scripture uh, that's been written in the last 2,000 years in order to know 100% of everything that God is speaking to us through His Word, which is why the Holy Spirit is our teacher. But when I do get something from the Lord... I am very clear to make sure that I go and double check it against sources because I do know that I'm not coming up with something new. Um, and if I am coming up with something new, it was probably something I ate that affected me, okay? Uh, because God is not revealing something to me that he has not yet already revealed. But I just love the fact that God speaks to us through his word time after time after time. Who's had the experience of a verse or a passage in scripture that every time you read it, God shows you something new. Your eyes are open to something new inside of that. And that happened with me right here in verse 21. And then I want you to see this because it says eight days later, eight days later after what? After Jesus was born. Okay, so eight days later. When the baby, when Jesus was circumcised, he was named what? Jesus. Now see, this is actually very interesting because culturally we, we are very different. We, we have all of these uh, gender reveal parties. Anybody actually done one or been to one? Or any, okay, if, if, like two or three of you, okay. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know that I've, maybe I've been to, have we been to one? We've been to one. Okay. I can't remember. I'm preaching. Give me a break. And, uh, but, uh, but with, you know, you, you've probably been to one or you've seen them around. And, and if there's one thing I know, that everybody wants to know everything ahead of time, right? You know, like in the Bible times, there were no gender revealed parties. There were no ultrasounds. There was nothing like, check it out. You know, I, I think I'm going to have 
a boy, except for Mary knew because Gabriel, you know, showed up. And so uh, Mary actually knew she was having a boy, but most people don't. And, uh, and the other thing we all want to know ahead of time is the name of the kid, right? I, I, I mean, almost everybody does this. If it's a boy, it's going to be Johnny. And if it's a girl, it's going to be Susan or whatever, you know, and, and we got the names ready to go. I remember being in the car, my wife and I, on the way to the hospital when she was about to give birth to, to David, and we were still debating his name on the way to the hospital. We're literally in the car going, is it going to be this one or is it going to be that one? And we're trying to figure it out, and the Lord showed us, and so it ended up being David. But we, 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 we feel like it is the end of the world if we get to the birth of our child and we still don't know what their name's going to be. I have a quick question. Were any of you born and you had not yet received your name when you were born? Anybody? That, that actually happened to me. Um, my parents um, were in the hospital and they were kind of thinking about Jeffrey as a name, I think was maybe on the list. And then one of the nurses who was a believer in Jesus, actually, how often does this happen at a hospital, walks up to them and says, I think he should be called Jeffrey. And, uh, but that was after I was born, right? So I got my name a little late, apparently. You know, it just took a while to get my identity. That's, that's what's going on. Um, but I want you to see this. Jesus was not named until after he was circumcised. He was given the name by the angel to Mary, but in Jewish tradition, track with me here, they, they would not name the child until they circumcised the child. And so the naming was always done at that point, like on the eighth day. The name came after circumcision. And so nobody got named on the first day. It just didn't happen. I, I don't know what they called the baby, or maybe they just said, hey, baby, you know, I, I have no idea. But, uh, but they didn't name the child until after the circumcision. And there's a reason why this is important, because circumcision was what was done specifically here for the males to define that they were Israelites, that they were Jews. And so circumcision was a decision of identification. I want everybody to say this word, identification. And I want you to get this. So before Jesus received his individual name, he received his identification as a part of the community. I want you to track this. So before Jesus was identified as an individual, he was first identified with his community as a Jewish person. And so Jesus literally is a Jewish Messiah. He's not a Roman Messiah. He's not an Italian Messiah. He's not any other type of Messiah. He is a Jewish Messiah. And this is important because the fact that he is Jewish is a massive part of his identity and has massive influence on our faith and who we are and that which we believe. And so Jesus was identified first with his community and then individually. And I love this. 
I actually love this because it says something about you and I as well. I fully believe that for a person, any individual, to fulfill the, the, their greatest life, that they need to know Jesus. Anybody agree with that? And so you don't get to your individual best version of yourself until you first get identified with what? With the people of God, with the family of God, as part of the body of Christ. I thank God that I belong to the family of Jesus Christ. Because here's the reality. I, on my own, can't do much of anything. Oh, I know. Some of you are in the room going, well, I can do a lot. I don't know what's wrong with you. You know? No. I mean, sure, I've got skills, and I've got gifts, and there's things I can do. But I, I didn't make myself. I didn't create myself. I didn't tell my heart to start beating. I didn't tell my lungs to start breathing. I have no control over the days of my life and how long I'm going to be here. The reality is all of that comes from Jesus. How many say amen? And with that in mind, then my, the reality is for me as an individual, my greatest identity for me is found first in my identity as part of God's family. And this is important. This is why I have been coming to church every Sunday for more than 43 years. Actually, more than, I'm 43 right now, but more than 44 years at this point. Because I've been going to church since I was in my mom's womb. And um, back in those days, she forced me to go. I had no choice in the matter. You know, I had to show up to church. But, uh, but, but, I, but I've been coming for 43 years. And you know what? I love it. I love it. I love God's family. I love being a part of this family. And when I go, and when I go with my wife and with my five kids, and we celebrate Christmas, and who is ready to celebrate Christmas? Does anybody have all the gifts wrapped yet? Anybody? Oh, a few of you do. That is amazing. And... Uh, and, and I, am, I am ready, and we will celebrate, us seven, and then we'll celebrate with my wife's parents, and then we'll celebrate with uh, my parents and, you know, all the brothers and everybody, and, 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 and we'll do that. So three celebrations, we do a trinity of Christmas celebrations. It is a blessed life. It really is. And, um, and, and it's great, but, but let me be clear. When I gather together with my family, and we will always take a few moments and uh, share some part of the story of the birth of Jesus on Christmas. And, and when we do that, the reality is, is that we are affirming something that is so true. That Christmas is not defined by my family of seven. Christmas is defined by a much bigger community that we are a part of. And even when we are at home by ourselves, we are defined by something much greater than us. And I count it a privilege to be identified as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus and part of the family of God. Does anybody else consider it a privilege for your life as well? And for this reason, I don't, I don't think that much of anything else or anything else compares in this life to being a part of the family of God. This family gives me stability. This family gives me direction. 
This family keeps me anchored and rooted in my life because there is nothing else in my life that can anchor and root me the same as the family of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Is this family a perfect family? Oh, no. We've got more than 2 billion followers of Jesus across the world, and we got plenty of problems. But it is a good family because it is filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that is a good family. So we identify ourselves. Jesus identified as a part of his community. And we identify as a part of our community as well. Verse 22. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, now I want everybody to say the word purification. And so the, the, there's a purification offering. And then it says this, the law of the Lord says, uh, verse 23, if we could, the law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a what? Does it say right there? Is a boy. He must be dedicated to the Lord. The verse 24 says, so they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, now I got to describe this a little bit because there is a purification offering that every family would offer every time a child was born. So what you read in verse 24 right here is the purification offering. Okay, this is important. And every parent would give this offering for every single child. Now, in verse 23 that we just read, I want to go back if we could, it says the following, that if a woman's first child is a boy... He must be dedicated to the Lord. So there's this concept that every first boy in the family had to be dedicated to God. And, and there's this idea of first fruits and tithing as well, that the first of everything is given to the Lord. They would give a, a tithe of their produce or their money. They would give a, a first fruits offering. What was the first fruits offering? It was when the crop came in in harvest season and the first crops that came in, they would give those as a, what was called a first fruits offering to the Lord. I actually practiced that in my own life. I'm not saying it's a requirement, but it's something I believe being generous to God is always better than not being generous to God. So I'd rather err or err, err, whatever, err, Err, thank you so much. What is err? I have no idea. Um, but I'd rather err on the side of generosity towards God rather than the other side, right? And so um, anytime that I get in, I've gotten like a new job and, and, and my first paycheck, I give it to the Lord. Anytime that I give a, get a raise, I don't give 10% of the raise. I give the whole initial raise, that first paycheck of the raise. I give it to the Lord as a first fruits offering. And this first fruits idea was built into families as well, where the oldest or the firstborn son would be given to the Lord. Is everybody with me right now? And so in that, how would they do that? They would just take their kid to the temple and drop them off and see, see, say, see you later when you turn 18. That, that is not what happened. Some of you are like, really? Really? No. No. They would actually offer another sacrifice. So in this case, there were actually not one, but two sacrifices that would get, be given. 
There would, or one is an offering, the purification offering, which we read in verse 24. And then there was a sacrifice that was given in place of the firstborn son. So your dedication of the firstborn son to the Lord was given by offering a sacrifice. And that's how it was done. And what's really interesting when you read this text is that it does not mention a sacrifice for Jesus as a firstborn son. It does not show up. Now, there's theologians that have different perspectives on this. One would just say that, well, it just wasn't included. Um, but I, I find it interesting that they included the purification one, yet they didn't include the sacrifice for Jesus as the firstborn son. Some other theologians actually state this, that the reason why there was no sacrifice for Jesus, because he didn't need an animal to take his place, because he was going to be the sacrifice for each and every one of us. At his birth, his death was already being taken into account. How many are thankful for a God who came to this earth to give his life for us? It was his entire point. Christmas is a celebration of his birth, but it is absolutely a celebration of Jesus's death and resurrection as well. And an honoring of the Lord for what he came to do. And so that's what happens. And this second word that I have for everybody today is the word dedication. Let's everybody say that together. We identify with the family of God and then we dedicate ourselves to the purposes of God. Jesus was identified as Jewish and then he was dedicated to the Lord. And how many of you would say, I want to live dedicated to the Lord as well? And may that become the description of our lives, that we would live dedicated to God for his purposes. I owe everything to him. Let's continue on. Verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God saying, and I'm going to ask everybody to read these next four verses with me. Let's read what Simeon said. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. Goes on to say, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. In verse 32, he is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Everybody say glory. glory. So this is interesting. This is really interesting to me. Because Simeon, much like other prophets and rabbis and priests 
for years had believed that the Messiah or the Savior or the Rescuer was going to show up. But what they believed about the Messiah was that the Messiah was going to come and rescue them from their earthly overlords, right? In this case, in Simeon's time, it's the Romans. So their belief, the Jewish belief at this time, is that the Messiah will come to rescue them from the Romans, that they will no longer be under the authority of another nation. And, 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 and this is really interesting because if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, God had actually told Israel that he wanted to be their king, that they did not need an earthly king. Now track with me here. So, so the problem was, though, that the people of Israel wanted to have an earthly king. So God essentially gives in to them and says, fine, you, you guys can have a king, but this king is going to cause all sorts of problems. And that is exactly what happened. All the different kings, and there were plenty of problems, and then they were taken into exile, and then they were brought back, but now they're under the Romans. And so things are just never, they're never fully free, Right? And, and, and this is a reality. So their hope is, is that the Messiah will come to rescue them from Rome. That's their hope. And this is Simeon's hope as well. How do we know this? Go back to verse 25 if you can. Because it actually declares it right there. He, it, it said, he was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and do What? rescue Israel, right? Simeon believed it too. Everybody believed it. Jesus is later on, his disciples believed it about him. Jesus is going to take the Romans away from us and we're going to be free. And Simeon, everybody believed this. There was not a single one that didn't believe that. And so Simeon is led by the Spirit. I, I want you to see this. He is led by the Spirit to show up where Mary and Joseph are. He sees them. He sees Jesus. He grabs Jesus and holds Jesus in his arms. And he starts praising God prophetically. Praising God, talking about the future. And at the very end of this little, small prophecy that he gives, verse 32, he says this. He is a light. Everybody say, he is a light. Not he will be a light, but he is, already is, right now, even as a baby, he is a light to reveal God to the nations. But I want to focus on the little last part. Everybody read it with me. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. Did you catch it? Simeon believed that God was going to come, that the Messiah was going to come to rescue Israel from who? From the Romans. But when he speaks prophetically, he says about Jesus the Messiah, no, 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 this Messiah is not just coming to rescue them from the, us from the Romans. He is the glory of Israel, meaning he is the king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who is over 
Israel. Israel did not want to be under God. They wanted to be under their own king, and it was all a disaster for them. And now they're under the Roman rule. But comes Simeon with this prophetic word, and God says, you're not going to be under any king. The only Messiah that works for you is the Messiah who is the eternal God over everything that is creator of all things. He is the glory of your people Israel. And and this is so important, my friends, because he's making something clear in this prophetic word that Jesus was not coming to simply rescue them and give them what they wanted. He was coming to be in charge. This prophetic word was the third word I have for you. We'll put it up on the screen. What does the word say? Confirmation. Simeon was confirming the reality of who Jesus was. Jesus did not come to rescue them from an earthly enemy. He came to rescue them and us from the devil and from his demons and from every evil spirituality and principality and and things in the dark places. God came to rescue us from those things. God came to rescue us from our sins and from our own brokenness. And I say this, that he truly is, Christ Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the one who came and was born and who died and rose from the dead and who is coming back again and who reigns for all eternity long. This is Jesus in whom I believe. Does anybody else believe? in this same Jesus. My friends, today I feel called by God to bring you a simple message that would bring back to our minds and hearts the essential nature of who Jesus is and what he came to do and what our responsibility is in regards to that. My friends, let me tell you, I don't want just Simeon confirming God's glory over Israel. I want to confirm that he is the glory over his church today in 2022 and that he is the glory over my life as well. Let me tell you this. My gifts are good but they are not my glory. My abilities are good, but they are not my glory. My accomplishments are good, but they are not my glory. There is only one glory who is my glory, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the glory over Jeff, and he's the glory over Evelyn, and the glory over Fernando, and the glory over all of his church. Is anybody with me? He is our glory. And I live under his glory. You're not free. Oh, no, I am free as I can ever be by living under the glory of God. Oh, but you're submitted to somebody else. Oh, my friends, we're all submitted to somebody. And if I say I'm submitted to myself, I'm just submitted to slavery in my own brokenness. I would rather be free in Jesus. He is the glory of my life. You know, next Sunday, we're going to have a great time, and and, and we're going to see people's gifts, and we're going to have music and and great stuff, and we're going to see the abilities of people. But let me tell you, we're not coming next Sunday here just to see people's abilities. We are coming to celebrate the one and only King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords, who is the glory of our church and of our lives. And this is how we will live. We are not interested in just being, you know, cool or just having interesting things. We are interested in making sure that the one God who we believe in is in charge and that he reigns and rules in our lives. That is what we want. That is what we desire. And we will do everything we possibly can to walk in that direction in our lives. After he gives this prophetic word, it says Jesus' parents, verse 33, were amazed at what was being said about him. Yeah, I mean, I would be amazed too if I was Jesus' parents. Then Simeon blessed them. Everybody say blessed. Okay, so, so I got I to gotta stop right here. So... Um, if you're Mary up until this point, right, you've given birth to Jesus, fantastic. You've received words from the angel, Gabriel. This is great. The, the, I mean, yes, there was no room in the inn, so that was a little bit of a difficulty, right? There was no room for them. Um, but, but they got a place, and Jesus was born and laid in a manger. And, and, the, and the shepherds show up that night, right? And so, so that's going on. And the angels are singing out over the fields. And, you know, I don't know. We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us whether Joseph and uh, Mary were able to hear the angels. But I, I could just kind of imagine, like, they heard this background soundtrack of the angels going on while they were, while they were with Jesus, you know. But, but the shepherds show up, and every Everything's good. And then they go and they get him circumcised and they define who he is as a Jewish person and his name, Jesus. And then for, at 40 days, they take him to the temple where they offer the, the offering for purification. And Simeon shows up and he gives this prophetic word. This is all amazing. And then verse 34, and then it says, then Simeon did what? Bless them. I mean, everything has been incredible up until now. And then it says this, that he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. Here's our first negativity entering into this, right? It's like everything's been amazing up until, wait, 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 people are going to oppose him? But he's like, the glory of Israel, like, how can they oppose him? He's Jesus, he's the Messiah, well, what are you talking about? And then, as a result, it says in verse 35, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then everybody read the last sentence with me. And a sword will pierce your very soul. Once again, Simeon confirming here now why Jesus had come, that he had come to give his life on the cross. And this prophetic word for Mary goes from really good to kind of really bad in just a moment. And um, one little side note here is that Simeon gives this prophetic word to Mary, and it's not until 33 years later that this comes true, right? In the sense of him, you know, giving his life on the cross and the sword piercing her soul. Just know and keep in mind, this is not a part of my message or my notes, but it's a good thing to keep in mind, that even if God's prophetic words take long, they eventually come true. Just always keep that in mind. This one took 33 years. 
Sometimes they take 10, sometimes 20, maybe sometimes 60. But if God said it, God will do it. And he always will. Okay, I stop the uh, announcement now. Back to the message. A sword will pierce your very soul. What Simeon was doing here through this second prophetic word, this second blessing, is he is helping Mary to prepare. Preparation. That's the last word. Could everybody say that word with me? Preparation. There was identification of Jesus. There was the dedication of Jesus. Then after the dedication of Jesus is the confirmation of who he is. But now for Mary, there is preparation. I want you to think about this. The first three steps were all about Jesus. Oh, yes, Mary and Joseph are involved, of course, but, but, but they're all about Jesus. But now it's about Mary preparing her heart for all that is going to happen with Jesus. I, I don't know about you, um, but my kids have been, almost all of them, watching the World Cup. Who's been watching the World Cup? Yeah, I, I've been really, <clears throat> really busy, so I haven't been watching it that much. Um, but, but they've been watching it, and, and everybody, you know, a lot of people have been watching it. Who, who of you are like big sinners that you've been watching the World Cup at work as well? You're like, if you're sitting at a desk, you're, you're sitting there like, yes, I'm writing. Mm-hmm, yeah, writing, you know. Or you're talking to a customer, you're like, hey, yeah, oh, hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, everything's fine. I'm all good, okay. And, uh, and then you do that. My, my kids are like, my kids, they're in the room. Some of them are in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, you know what they were doing the last couple of weeks? They have been taking computer, phone, or iPad to school to watch the World Cup at school. Can you believe the sin that has entered into my family? It is horrendous what is going on. But, but I got to tell you something. Um, I normally don't embarrass my kids, so I'm not embarrassing them. It is all good. Um, I did not receive any, any emails from any teachers regarding my kids watching the World Cup at school, which leads me to believe that the teachers are watching it with them. That's what I think is going on. How about Morocco winning? I mean, come on. That's interesting. And you know, this comes every four years. And there's people that prepare for this, right? I mean, some people prepare even a trip a year out, two years out, prepare a trip because they want to actually go and attend the World Cup. Prepare for something big that is coming. Prepare the schedule so you can watch the games. I mean, I think there was one night, I don't remember, Caleb, if he ended up waking up that night, but there was one night he put an alarm at like one in the morning in order to wake up and watch it. Did you end up watching it? Some of it, all right. And, and you prepare things for something big that comes. We, we do this not just for the World Cup. You might do it for the Super Bowl, and you have a Super Bowl party, or you might do it for the Olympics. You'll do it if you're a parent for the wedding for, you know, one of your kids or all of your kids at some point. You, you prepare, and you, like, um, you know, you might tell them, wait another 10 years to get married because I need more money to help you get married, you know. Um, but, but you prepare, and you get ready for these big things that are going on. And, and Mary, she had to prepare. She had to prepare her heart for something big that Jesus was going to do. And it was going to be difficult for her, obviously. 
But she had to be prepared. And as I come to the end of this message today, what I feel that the Lord is telling us today is that we need to prepare our hearts like Mary needed to be prepared as well. Because this year was called, has been called, is called the year of wonder for our church. And God has done absolute wonders in this church during this year. Miraculous things. But you know, this year is not done yet. Anybody notice that? Today is the 11th. We have 20 more days in this year. And I want to tell you right now, God is not done. Um, believe me, we'll have a different name for next year, but it doesn't mean that his wonders are going to stop. No, 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 no. No, this year is the foundation for all that God is going to continue doing into the future. But let me tell you that because this year is not done yet, God still has more wonders that he wants to do. Will you prepare your heart for what God has in mind for you? Will you prepare yourself to receive that which Jesus wants to do in your life in this season? And let me tell you, some of those things might be good things and easy things and nice things. Some of them might be incredible miracles, and that's incredible. But some of them might be hard things like it was for Mary. Some of them might be things where God tests your heart and what he's doing is he's wanting to do a transformation inside of you. And so you're preparing your heart right now for a big, deep work that God wants to work out inside of you. I don't know what it is because God works in every individual life in different ways. But what I do know is I want to prepare my heart for whatever it is that the Lord wants to do. Is anybody with me on that? So would you stand up with me today? And I want to lead us in a simple prayer today. A prayer of preparation. We are identified with Christ. Can anybody say amen? We have been dedicated to Jesus. Can anybody say amen? We confirm in our hearts the reality of who Jesus is. He is the glory of our lives. Can anybody say amen? And so then now we prepare. We prepare our hearts to receive the glory of God. So Jesus, today, we understand who you are. We understand that you came to this earth to reign and to rule. Not some physical kingdom, not the United States, not France, not even Israel, not physically, no. You came to reign and rule over all creation. And so Jesus, today as we dedicate our lives to you and confirm the reality of who you are, we ask you, Lord, to prepare our hearts. Jesus, I believe that in this season, you want to do wonderful miracles. Jesus, I believe that in this season, you desire to change lives and transform people. 
Jesus, I believe in this season you want to bring multitudes of souls to you so that they might know their Lord and Savior. Jesus, I believe that in this season you want to transform us and make us more like you. Jesus, I believe in this season you want to restore marriages. You want to restore relationships between parents and kids, friendships, and so many others. And because of this, Lord, would you prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts to be ready to receive all that you have for us. To respond to you according to what you invite us to do. That we would be a people who are open and obedient to walk in your ways. Jesus, this is our desire. This is the desire of our hearts. So Holy Spirit, come and do a great and mighty work in us. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, let's sing together.